This is the What Happened Today podcast, your daily history podcast that tells you what happened on this day in history. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at Prod Leisure. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and what happened today, October 22nd, in 1983, two corrections officers at the United States Penitentiary in Marion, Illinois, Merle Klutz and Robert Hoffman, were stabbed to death by two different inmates, Thomas Silverstein and Clayton Fountain both of whom were members of the Aryan Brotherhood. Unfortunately, correction officers are harmed and even killed relatively often. It is a dangerous job, particularly at a place like Marion, which was a maximum security prison in the federal system. Incidents of violence were not unheard of. But killing two separate correction officers in two separate incidents by two separate prisoners changed things. By having officers Klutz and Hoffman killed at Marion, the entire organization of the U.S. federal prison system changed. And also, the way that it happened, the reaction to it, and the attempt to move on past the murders of officers Klutz and Hoffman says so much about the way the prison system in America worked in the late 20th century. The federal prison at Marion was established in 1963, very specifically to replace the federal prison on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. Alcatraz Federal Penitentiary operated from 1934 until 1963. And the very idea of Alcatraz was that this was for the worst of the worst, the people who couldn't be handled in the rest of the federal prison system, multiple-time escapees, people with connections to criminal organizations, people who had been a danger in other prisons. And part of the reason for picking Alcatraz was that it was nearly impossible to escape from. Situated on a rocky island jutting out in San Francisco Bay, not only would people have to have escaped the prison, which actually happened a handful of times, they would then have to get in the water and somehow survive the waters of the San Francisco Bay without being detected. In its nearly 29-year run, only one escape attempt in June of 1962 by Frank Morris, John Anglin, and Clarence Anglin, actually saw anyone get out. Those three men managed to actually evade prison authorities by building dummies and tunneling out and getting into a homemade raft. At that point, no one ever heard from them again, nor were any bodies found. But in some ways, the federal prison system decided that something needed to change, that Alcatraz perhaps wasn't the best place. This escape attempt was actually relatively peaceful for Alcatraz, which was known for a handful of riots, including one much earlier in May of 1946, known as the Battle of Alcatraz, in which prisoners held guards hostage and killed them. And so the very idea of the federal penitentiary at Marion was basically to make the prison much safer. Most prisoners were in solitary confinement or would be forced to go to group therapy. They also had control units. Essentially, a control unit said, you will spend all but one hour of your day in a solitary cell. That way, inmates would not be able to contact other inmates or anyone from the outside world. It would be hard to plan an escape. It would be difficult to organize a riot. That was the idea of the federal penitentiary at Marion. But the reason that something like the murders of officers Klutz and Hoffman could happen in 1983 is that essentially a control unit didn't work. Crime rates went up drastically in the middle of the 20th century in America. And in response, people began to panic. 
and harsher and harsher prison sentences were being put into place in the 70s and 80s. Although there were some escape attempts from the prison at Marion, most notably those involving Garrett Trapnell, who twice had acquaintances on the outside, one a friend, one his 17-year-old daughter, hijack aircraft to try and bring it to him. There wasn't ever really a serious escape attempt. In that sense, it appeared Marion was working. However, on the inside, the actual conditions in the prison were becoming almost untenable. What had developed was a culture of prison gangs. And the two that were absolutely at each other's throats were the Aryan Brotherhood and the DC Blacks. The Aryan Brotherhood, as its name suggests, was a prison gang based around white supremacist ideas. Now, because they were in prison and mostly focused on protecting members, they used Nazi and Celtic symbolism more as a mishmash. Really, the idea was to protect white inmates who had joined the Aryan Brotherhood, and in that sense began at San Quentin State Prison in California in 1964. However, it quickly grew into a much larger criminal enterprise, running drugs in and out of prisons having networks of affiliated gangs all throughout the federal penitentiary system. And in the 1980s, one of the most prominent African-American prison gangs in the United States were the D.C. Blacks, which, as its name suggested, mostly started in and around Washington, D.C. They became associated with the Black Gorilla family, which was also founded in the mid-1960s at San Quentin Prison. But the situation on the ground at Marion seemed to turn worse in the early 1980s around Thomas Silverstein. Silverstein first went to prison when he was 19 years old in 1971. He had already been in a variety of California state youth reformatories for basically being a troubled child. He was known for fighting inside of the reformatories. And after he got out of one upon turning 18, he managed to meet his biological father, Thomas Conway, with whom he committed armed robbery and as a result went to prison. He ended up in the federal system for a variety of crimes later in 1977 and joined the Aryan Brotherhood. In 1980, while at Leavenworth United States Penitentiary, he killed an inmate named Danny Atwell. The story was that Atwell refused to be a heroin mule for the Aryan Brotherhood. Although he was sent to Marion because he had killed a fellow inmate, it turned out later in 1985 that the informants who ratted out Silverstein had actually perjured themselves. Nonetheless, Silverstein found himself in the control unit at Marion. He was one of the many cases where it was seen as too dangerous to let him be out. And yet in 1981, Robert Chappelle came in. Robert Chappelle was one of the DC Blacks, and he wound up being stabbed. The finger was pointed at Silverstein and Clayton Fountain, a fellow Aryan Brotherhood member, who was serving life imprisonment for having killed his staff sergeant while serving in the Marines in the Philippines. Both Silverstein and Fountain had a history of violence. Fountain was one of the people who seemed to be doing well in Marine training until he was supposed to rear back from how to engage with the enemy. Silverstein had a history of being in reformatories and prisons and constantly getting into trouble for violence. Yet they both maintained their innocence. However, while on trial, they would come face to face with Raymond Cadillac Smith. Cadillac Smith was the national head of the DC Blacks, and he had just been placed into the control unit in Marion. Later, Silverstein would say that he believed that the very idea 
was that in some way he and Cadillac would take care of each other. That was what the prison guards wanted. But whatever the circumstances were, what's clear is that before October 22nd, 1983, there were prison gangs, if not operating completely freely, definitely active at the most secure prison in America, in the unit specifically designated for the toughest cases. And there have been murders of inmates by other inmates in this unit, even thinking that perhaps Silverstein and Fountain had not done it. The situation was that it was possible for inmates to kill each other even in the control unit. And then on October 22nd, it turned out that officers could be killed. First, Merle Klutz was leading Thomas Silverstein to his shower because it was a maximum security solitary confinement unit. He had to take him individually. Usually the corrections officers would be ahead of the prisoners. However, Silverstein managed to get himself slightly separate, and he stopped near the cell of Randy Gomez. Gomez unlocked Silverstein's handcuffs with a homemade key and then gave him a homemade knife, a prison shank. And then multiple guards saw Thomas Silverstein attack Merle Klutz and stab him over and over and over again. Then just a few hours later, the exact same thing happened with Clayton Fountain and Officer Robert Hoffman. Both Silverstein and Fountain would say that they were targets of abuse by the slain officers. There's no way to know. But there was not a great record of anything, and they were in a solitary confinement unit. They also were members of white nationalist prison gang who had had a mixed record in prison, to say the least. These were dangerous men. And yet somehow they could go up to another prisoner's cell and in an elaborate ruse commit horrible acts of violence on prison guards. It really says something. Prison guards are not allowed guns in a lot of units, mostly because if it fell out or slipped or if an inmate got it, it would be terrible. But it also means that essentially prison guards are prepared for acts of violence and to get people off quickly. Silverstein went at Klutz so severely they managed to stab him several dozen times. The reaction by the U.S. prison system was swift. Silverstein was transferred to the United States Penitentiary in Atlanta, where he wasn't just placed in solitary confinement, but in basically a special area. Fountain, meanwhile, was moved to the United States Medical Center for Federal Prisoners, located in Springfield, Missouri, where he also was in a specially constructed unit. More importantly, it led to the development of the Supermax prison. The idea of a Supermax actually in some ways harkens back to Alcatraz. The Supermax prison would open in 1994 in Florence, Colorado, which is essentially in the middle of nowhere, intentionally so. And whereas Marion featured cells that were individual, but still together, the Supermax prison made it hard to communicate between cells, hard to even see much light. This is where the worst of the worst would now go, including eventually Thomas Silverstein. But it's telling that the United States Penitentiary at Marion, the hardest prison for the worst of the worst, would have to become a medium security prison. But with the opening of the Supermax facility at Florence, that's absolutely what happened. Somehow prisons could never quite work as they were supposed to. Inmates were a danger to themselves. Gangs could rise up, cause riots, move drugs, get into fights, even at a prison based around solitary confinement, as in the control unit at Marion. And in the most notorious, the worst, most violent moment, perhaps, in the history of the federal prison system, Two officers were stabbed in similar incidents hours apart that were relatively quick. Compared to overall riots where multiple people are killed, this was a single inmate figuring out one way to get loose. That took communication. That took plotting. And it happened 
twice. Something was going on at Marion that was completely against what it was established for. So the prison system just got worse, just made it harder to communicate. All because correction officers Merle Klutz and Robert Hoffman were stabbed to death by Aryan Brotherhood members and inmates Thomas Silverstein and Clayton Fountain at United States Penitentiary Marion, which is what happened today, October 22nd in 1983. That will do it for today's episode, but as always, please check back in tomorrow for a brand new episode because we are a daily history podcast and we do put out a new episode each and every day. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And if you are listening to us on either iTunes or Stitcher, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a rating and leave a review because those are the ways that you can help us to get onto charts and be heard by brand new listeners. You can also help us out a bit more directly by going to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash productive leisure and becoming one of our patrons. Patreon patrons give small monthly contributions to support ongoing creative work like a podcast network. So if you want to hear more of the What Happened Today podcast or any other Productive Leisure Network podcast, please go to patreon.com slash productive leisure and become one of our patrons today. You can also follow us for updates on everything to do with the Productive Leisure Network on Facebook and Twitter at Prod Leisure. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow.